Hello, and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Michelle Friedman. And I'm Rachel Yehuda. And we're both from YCT Rabbinical School. And in each episode, we explore an aspect of psychology based on the Torah reading of the week. This week, we start the book of Exodus, also called in Hebrew, Shemot. And while we are going to be continuing some of the themes that we talked about in the book of Bereshit, Genesis, we're also going to be talking about the move from the individual to the family, to the tribe, and ultimately the creation of the nation. So our first chapter, which is called Shemot, we're really looking at basic themes, which as I said, we touched on last week as well in Vayechi, about identity. Who am I? Am I my DNA? Am I my family legacy? Am I my nature? Am I my nurture? Am I where I grew up? My nuclear family? Or is it the values and the lifestyle that I choose? Well, of course, it's all of the above. And, that uh, was a setup, yes. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, identity formation is really um, what this uh, portion of the Torah reading is all about. And if you can nail it on an individual level, then you can also go into the identity of a nation, which is comprised of individuals, but also has its own identity as a people. Right. And Moses is the archetype. While his identity is unique, it also has universal aspects. So Moses, of course, has a very dramatic origin story. His birth and early life depict a identity of split loyalties. As we, go ahead. Right. Well, first of all, it's really important to point out that he's born in a turbulent time. I mean, from day one, the environment is an important character in his development. So, you know, what's going to be important is not only his DNA, who his parents are, um, how he's nurtured, the early attachments that he receives or doesn't receive, but also what is happening in the greater context that is going to be influencing his caregivers and the people around him. Right. His very early attachments are extremely shaped by the desperate environment that he's born into. Because as we know, he is born to Hebrew slaves. He is saved by his mother, who, under knowing that there's an edict that baby boys are to be killed, puts him in a little ark, lets him go into the river, so similar to many stories that we've heard, let's say in the time of the Holocaust, yes. where desperate parents put their children into the hands of complete strangers, just hoping they would live. Right, and here we don't even have a complete stranger. We have a baby put in a basket because even that act was going to be superior to not doing it. So, I mean, we're, we're very much in touch with these Desperate stories, not even in the Holocaust, what's happening now with immigration or right. what's happening with China. This is very contemporary stuff where parents have to make these horrific decisions. About their children. Yes. Well, Mo baby Moses is watched. His little cradle is watched by his sister. And in a dramatic turn of events, he's rescued by a princess of the enemy regime, a good Egyptian who 
fetches him from the river in a kind of uh, act of protest because she knows what the edict is as well. And baby Moses is raised in, as a prince in Pharaoh's household, yet at the same time, he gets the imprint of his family background, his cultural background, as that same princess allows his birth mother to be imported into the household as his nursemaid. Yeah, she's a really fascinating character, just as, as an aside, because, you know, unlike many people who see a child or take an adoption or want to co-opt a child as their own, she understands the limitations of what she can offer and really does bring his mother into the picture, or at least an Israelite that she may or may not know as his mother. And that really sets the stage because... Moses is not returned to um, Pharaoh's daughter until he is weaned, um, which might be at least a few months or maybe years. A few years is yeah. more like it. It made, <clears throat> it made me think of children of color who are adopted in contemporary times, let's say even by Jewish families. What is it like to be a Chinese girl growing up on the Upper West Side and having a bat mitzvah? She must be delighted to be part of this, but also wondering about her own origins. And I think these are stories that we've heard many times. So Moses's bivalent identity really comes to a head in verse 211. And we note that the text skips from his being a very young child, presumably, to him being old enough to go out by himself into the field. And as the text says, in 411, and it was in those days, and Moses grew older, and he went out to his brothers and saw their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man, one of his brothers. And he turned this way and that way, and saw that there was no man, and he struck the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Yeah, wow. Two lines, but there's a lot of information there. Right. I mean. First of all, just using the term his brothers. Twice. Twice. So here is somebody that is now grown up in the home of Pharaoh, and so his adoptive identity hasn't stuck very well. Well, it's, it's puzzling. One could see that when the text says his brothers, that that's Moses recognizing a fellowship with these Hebrews, but it could also be that it's pointing to the reader that the, the omniscient narrator who wants us to be thinking that Moses may not know these are his brothers, but we sure do. Yes, and I think that that's a really interesting and important distinction because it's really hard to know um, what Moses is thinking, and it's hard to understand whether um, conf being confronted with this scene of an Egyptian hitting an is Israelite is confusing or whether he really has a moment of clarity. But one of the things that's kind of interesting to me is that it's, it's not an impulsive act what he does next because it says he turns here and there. And by looking both ways before he's about to um, kill the Egyptian, that's a recognition of intention. He can stop himself, and I think that that happens to us um, in many situations where we think we're doing something that we can't prevent, but then there's this moment where we 
make a decision to go forward or not. And by looking this way and that way, he's declaring that this is not an impulsive act, but an act of clarity. Also, the text says he struck the Egyptian. Now, strike could be knocks him out, he lands with a bloody nose, but in this case, it's clear that Moses is striking. He can strike with deadly force. And one could imagine, you know, has Moses taken karate lessons in the palace or whatever, but to be able to strike and kill somebody is a very powerful act. Right, and... You know, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, in killing the Egyptian, Moses is also killing a part of himself that right. is the Egyptian that was raised by the daughter of Pharaoh. And this is such an important act because there must have been a tremendous amount of ambivalence and identity confusion growing up on the one hand, knowing that you're an Israelite, having been nurtured very early on by your birth mother for at least long enough to know who you are, to then be returned to the house of Pharaoh and probably living the good life, but also knowing that these are the enemy of your people and how to square that. And even if Moses doesn't know at that point, in the very next verse, I think we can be pretty sure he does because the text says that after Moses hides the dead Egyptian in the sand, verse 2.13 says, and he went out on the second day and here were two Hebrew men fighting and he said to the one who was in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? So now he's not using his hands, he's using his words. It's kind of an upgrade from the day before. Perhaps he has some reflection, maybe even some regret that he's killed somebody. Yes, and maybe he's, he's a little surprised by it himself. That's right, and he's, he's, he is struggling over this confused identity, the consequences right. of and, his identity and, and issue. Maybe, and yes, exactly, and maybe he isn't really sure. Right. Did he kill this um, Egyptian because he's an Egyptian or because of what he was doing? And all of that is very confusing. Am I, am I killing the Egyptian because I'm an Israelite or because this Egyptian is actually on the wrong side of what is supposed to be happening? So in the next story, you have two Israelites having an altercation. Right. So you can remove the part of the equation That's where right. I might hurt somebody because they're an Egyptian. And now Moses' identity comes home to him in a different way from the outside because the Hebrew says to him, who made you a commander and judge over us? Are you saying you'd kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? So this, this uh, story is also really laden with psychological meaning. Um, first of all, Moses is um, having a very failed interaction with his people. Although Moses may have had a moment where he now thinks that he has chosen the identity of an Israelite, it's not clear that the Israelites are accepting him as one of them. What's so interesting here is that the Israelites don't seem to appreciate um, this big identity crisis and this sacrifice that Moses has just made, what Moses has just given up in order to take their side and to help them. And he must have thought that this action 
wasn't exactly a secret, but he would be protected by the people he is trying to protect. You know, it reminds me a lot of times when um, disadvantaged people are being helped by more privileged people that want to help them. <laughs> and um, although one would imagine that the reaction would be gratitude, <laughs> very often it isn't. Very often um, the reaction is to have people that need something from you really rebuff the effort. You're still privileged. You are and an upper class. You are an upper class doing something for whatever your reasons are, but has nothing to do with me. And certainly, even if I benefit from what you've done in the short term, I don't actually trust you in the long term, and, and I don't know your motives. And this is extremely important in the preparation of helping people, such as rabbis, chaplains, and other folks who are trying to do good in a noble way. They need to be trained, as we try to do at YCT Rabbinical School. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that, because this is a story that I think really shapes Moses's anxiety about coming back to be leader of That's the Jewish right. people. That's right. Because this is his first attempt at leadership, and it really doesn't go well. And he's going to get plenty of this, as we're going to talk about all through the book of Exodus and even beyond. Right. Moses is a dedicated leader who gets a lot of pushback and a lot of grumbling from the people that he dedicates his life to lead. And he knows it. And when God calls upon him to go back and lead the Jewish people, he really resists. And he resists, I think, because of this story, because he realizes that no matter what he does, he will never be one of the people exactly. That goes right into, I think, part of the identity of the rabbi. Something that young rabbis struggle with is you're always other. Yes, we wrote about this in our book. Yes, we Here did. Jewish pastoral counseling about how uh, the rabbi lives in a fishbowl sometimes, right. but also doesn't um, really has to maintain some kind of distance uh, from the congregation in order to lead it. And, but it's painful. It's painful. Because you don't want to be there all the time, isolated. But this was Moses' first, uh, his first encounter with the fact that no matter how well-intentioned he is and how good his actual choices are, how clearly he sees the situation, it's not always going to go how he planned. Right. I want to go to another story, one of the most puzzling stories in the whole Bible that I think picks up on this complicated identity issue of Moses's. There are so many stories we could pick up on, but I am now going to, after the burning bush, after Moses has gotten his call uh, from God to really become the leader, and he has been reluctant, um, and, but he's on his way back. He's on his way back, right. He has spent time in Midian. He has become close to the person that is his true mentor and kind of, in a way, adopted father, Jethro, and he marries Jethro's daughter. And in 424, on the way back to his destiny, there's a puzzling text, and it says, and he was on his way at a lodging place, and God met him, and he asked to kill him. And Sipora took a flint and cut her son's foreskin and touched his feet. And she said, because you're a bridegroom of blood to me. And he held him back from him, 
Then she said, a bridegroom of blood for circumcisions. It's a bizarre story. Of, in any way. But one way that we're looking at it is that somehow Moses was struggling to circumcise his own son at the right time. Well, what we know is that Moses did not circumcise his son. Right. And he chose not to. Perhaps this was an action of, uh, or a statement that he um, maybe didn't feel 100% part of the Israelites, the way that Joseph, we talked last week about choosing embalming or really choosing to integrate into the customs of the, uh, choosing to assimilate more into um, a different identity. Now, it raises a really interesting question that we could speculate on about whether Moses was circumcised and who would have done that right. and how that would have played out. Um, if he was circumcised early in his life, it wouldn't have been by the daughter of Pharaoh, that's for sure. And if, the, is, if his birth mother had decided not to circumcise him because it was too dangerous. And we've heard a lot of stories about Jewish people during World War II, born in that era, that also did not get circumcised until later. But in any later. case, circumcision is a defining mark of identity. And the theme that we're talking about today is the struggle with integrating identities. And the guilt at leaving parts of yourself behind when you go into a new identity. And the struggle of absorbing and becoming that new being. So that action was really about being all in. Right. Right. So, and again, it, his wife had to do it, who was an outsider. Right. Which, right. Which was really a very interesting thing. So Moses did not understand that. Right. So this is him owning that he has to be all in in order to be Right, and let's just put in a plug for the heroic women of the book of Exodus who understand what needs to be done. Right, I mean, the whole book opens up with the heroic women who are defying Pharaoh. Right, the midwives who right. save the baby boys, absolutely. the mother and sister who take chances Even putting the, the baby in the room. Pharaoh. A absolutely the daughter right. of Pharaoh. But on a clinical level, this whole story of integration of identity kind of comes home around this time of year as it's um, close to Christmas. And I'm thinking of a program we did on conversion a number of years ago on Christmas Day. And there were some very poignant moments when people who had chosen to enter the covenant, who had chosen to become Jewish, talked about nostalgia and the strong feelings evoked by very primitive kinds of experiences. You know, we know that the olfactory memory is one of the most basic. And one young man talked about how he missed the scent of pine, the scent of Christmas trees around this time. And he would spray a little evergreen scent in his house because he wasn't gonna have a Christmas tree. And the converse, the same fellow asked, just because I became Jewish, or no, because I love Judaism, do I have to love Kugel? <laughs> and I think that that's a really good story because Moses is being chosen to lead the Jewish people. And the leader is being chosen not from amongst the people, but kind of coming from the side. And I think that there is not a wish by 
God who chose him, that he completely abandoned whatever it is he might have gotten from living in the house of Pharaoh. I think the challenge for all of us is how to integrate all the disparate pieces, even as we make choices, not to be, um, not to be so binary. Well, you know, we've talked about the um, complex identity of Moses, and forging your own identity as a leader isn't a straightforward process, and it takes a lot of twists and turns, and you have to constantly be making decisions about what parts of your past you're going to integrate with what's happening now in the future. So it'll be really interesting to keep our eye on how this develops over the book of Exodus. Thanks for listening to the Pastoral Parsha with Dr. Michelle Friedman and Dr. Rachel Yehuda. This podcast is brought to you by Shivat Chovavei Torah. To learn more, visit yctorah.org.